Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Today is episode 73 with Coach Greg Busher. Greg is the head boys basketball coach and softball coach at La Plata High School in La Plata, Missouri. Busher just wrapped up his 29th season of coaching boys basketball. In 2010, he led an undefeated Sturgeon team to the state championship with an undefeated 32-0 record and was named the KRES Coach of the Year, NBCA Class 2 Boys Coach of the Year, and National Federation High School Coach of the Year for the state of Missouri. Busher also previously coached at Moberly, Clark County, Glasgow, and Trenton in Missouri. He has amassed over 499 wins in his career and has amassed nine conference titles. In addition, he coached Jerry Hunsinger at Clark County, Missouri, both in 95 and 96 seasons, who is now the head girls basketball coach at Boonville High School in Missouri. He has coaches at a number of schools in both Missouri and Illinois. He coached Matt Lewis, who is the head coach at D3 College Champions Wisconsin Oshkosh at Augusta Southeastern Illinois. His teams are known for zone defense, in particular the 1-2-2 ball press, and the flex offense, plus some motion offense. He grew up in Columbia, Missouri, and went to the University of Missouri, graduated in 1990. He is married to his wife, Renee, for 21 years with three children, Howie, 21, Jarrett, 17, and Bryn, 12. <clears throat> also, Jarrett currently is playing for him at La Plata High School in Missouri. Coaches, I think you're really going to be excited. Um, er, earlier on, uh, I spoke to Jarrett Hunsinger from Missouri. He runs the one-two-two ball press, very, very well known for that. And he actually played for Gary um, in high school at Clark County High School in Missouri. Um, but I think it's kind of really interesting how uh, Gary became a one-two-two ball press coach later on in his career. Uh, which led to a lot of his success. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about, you know, what are some things that he does to have that consistently winning program over at La Plata. So I think you're going to be excited. I always enjoy talking to coaches from out of state. So let's welcome Coach Greg Busher. Greg, welcome. Hello, Greg. Hello, how are you? Coach, how you doing this morning? Great. That's awesome. It's always good to hear, I tell you, particularly when we're, we're getting ready to start school again. So I, I love the positive attitude. Yeah, just don't, don't mention school yet. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it because I know Jarrett uh, mentioned you and so forth and said you had a, a huge impact on him and so forth. I uh, and I think Jarrett's an absolute fa- uh, fabulous coach. So I definitely wanted to get you on. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to talking some basketball. Absolutely. Um, hey, hey, first of all, tell tell our audience, and I get a lot of coaches just like myself on it that really are, are interested in kind of learning more about the game. Tell us about your journey on how you got started as a young player and also how that how you, that journey kind of continue on to what you're doing now as a coach? Um, well, I've been coaching almost 30 years, so this is going to be a long story. <laughs> but 
back when back when uh, when I was in high school, I went to uh, Rockbridge High School in Columbia, Missouri, and um, uh, I was and still am five foot nine, not very fast, not very athletic, and and wasn't wasn't really good enough to play for the high school team, but I had a big interest in it. Um, I watched my uncle Jerry Bisher, who's a Hall of Fame coach uh, in the state of Missouri, win a state title and. 1984 and I decided at that point that was a pretty neat idea a pretty cool thing and uh, so I wanted to coach and uh, and I wanted to coach basketball so uh, Jim Scanlon at Rockbridge uh, helped me get started by uh, letting me coach the Rockbridge High School summer league team back in the days when coaches couldn't have contact with their players in the in the summer uh, except for a brief period of time uh, then I uh, did some volunteer assisting while I was in college at, at Rockbridge High School. And then when I graduated from the University of Missouri, my first coaching job was in Griggsville, Illinois. And, uh, it, uh, and then I had a coach by the name of Mike Frey take me under his wing and, and uh, kind of help me. Start it. And without him, I probably wouldn't still be coaching right now. But uh, uh, so I've been in a lot of different places. Um, I uh, probably am known mostly for uh, my zone defenses and, and either motion or flex offense. And uh, a lot of that's Mike Frey's, uh, Mike Frey's influence and coaching in uh, Illinois high school basketball's influence. So uh, I, uh, I went from Griggsville and then I went to Clark County, come back to where I'm from and coached at Clark County a couple of years. And then I went to Moberly. Uh, then I went to Glasgow, then back to Illinois, Southeastern, which is where Mike Frey was the principal at the time, and he was retiring, uh, and he wanted me to come coach their basketball team. And, and when he asked you to do something, you just you just do it. Um, <laughs> and uh, eventually, my journey led me to Sturgeon, Missouri, where in 2010 we went uh, undefeated and won a state title, uh, Class Two in the state of Missouri, and. Uh, uh, then from there, a few years later, I went to Mexico, Missouri, and was only there a couple of years, and, and, and now I'm at La Plata, and I've got seven years to retirement, and we plan on staying in La Plata the whole time. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I love it. Um, I tell your story because I know you and I are very similar in age. I said, Ben, he started coaching in, I think it was 1990, right, Greg? That's right. You start, Is it 1990, you, your first year? Yes, it was my first year in Griggsville, yes. Yeah, yes, and I, I did the same thing. So we're probably very similar in age and so forth. This is this is my 29th year. And um, yeah. so I, I can definitely – we can definitely relate. You're 5'9", kind of a small guard and so forth. You had to grind it out. What? That sounds very I, similar. <laughs> the, the problem was is I wasn't a guard. I was more of a post. <laughs> and there just there just wasn't much call for a five nine post at Columbia Rockbridge. Unfortunately. Right. <laughs> I had a devastating sky hook though. I just couldn't get anybody to give me a chance. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, that I tell you, I appreciate you sharing with us. I, and you mentioned your mentors, which says that we as coaches, um, we can really build great relationships with kids because you never know down the road one of your you know, players goes on and coaches like the many of your, many of your players are now coaching, right? I've got several of them. I, I don't have a list in front of me, but I, I know I can think of two right off the top of my head that are former players that are coaching and both of them have had a lot of success. Uh, Todd Bradshaw at Griggsville, Illinois was my first starting point guard as a coach. And, uh, he's went on to coach at Griggsville and they've won multiple regional titles. Um, 
Uh, just had a ton of success there. And then, of course, Jared Hunziker, who played for me when I was at Clark County, uh, is now the girls coach at Boonville. And, you know, that's just a tremendous program down there, a trip to the Final Four and multiple district titles. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's really it's really neat to watch kids that maybe you've had an impact on going to the coaching business and have success and, uh, um, and, and maybe I've helped them a little bit along the way. So that's, uh, that's, I mean, really in all honesty, that's almost as rewarding as when my teams win. So, uh, it's a neat deal. And, and I had guys that helped me, you know, like I said, without Mike Frey, uh, you know, not only teaching me X's and O's, but kind of how to act at times when I was 23, 24 years old, I'm not sure I'd still be in the business. I'd have gotten run out a long time ago. So uh, you just try to pass on what's been given to you a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And our, our jobs as coaches is um, it's vitally important. We have, we have a great impact. Matter of fact, um, we hired this year, one of my former players. Uh, she is my assistant this year. I was so excited. And it's funny, Greg, I knew she was going to be a coach when I coached her. Isn't that weird? That, that is weird, but you get those sense, uh, and not that it always happens, but you get the sense when you have a team, which ones might be a coach later down the road. And not every team you have is going to have one of those kids, but you, you get a feel for it uh, a little bit. But, yeah, that's, a, that's really – I've never had a former player be my assistant, so that would be a really neat experience as well. Oh, man, I'm excited about it. And actually, our softball coach uh, is also a former player of mine. Just says how old I'm getting, man. We're both getting old, Coach. <laughs> well, see, Mike, Mike, yeah, you're right. Uh, you don't have to remind me. And it seems like anymore, everything's always about age. Somebody's got to remind you how old you are. Um, but I still feel like the young coach I was 29 years ago. So I just go at it with that approach. Uh, uh, my, my goal was to try to change jobs enough to where I never had to coach the kids. So I wouldn't be like a coaching grandpa, but right. uh, it finally caught up to me. Yeah, that makes yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, tell me about your program now. I know you've had a lot of success in your program now. Talk about like what are your like your non-negotiables? I I try to ask coaches this: what are what are, what are your convictions? What are things that you really believe in in your current school right now? Um, and it, it's La Plata or La. It's, it's La Plata. La Plata. Yeah, I just La Plata. want to make sure I got there at La Plata. God, what, what do you guys really believe in? I think the biggest thing in our program is, uh, you know, you talk about what your non-negotiables are. Our non-negotiables are we are not going to ever get outworked. Um, and, and that's kind of what we base on, base the whole program on is we want to run a defense and an offense where effort is going to bring us success. Uh, and then that way, the years that you don't have the most talented teams, you're going to win a few games just on effort alone. I'm not the smartest coach, but I'd like to think there's not very many of them out there that will outwork me uh, in both in terms of time spent with kids and preparation time uh, away from the court, planning practice, watching film, scouting, that sort of thing. So that is really our one non-negotiable. And I guess if there's another non-negotiable is we expect kids to be a good teammate. Uh, and what that definition is, is to do anything that hurts yourself or the team or the school or the community or makes any of us look bad. So uh, we expect every kid to be a good teammate. And that's, those are the two things that we, we base our program on. Yeah. And those are things kids have control of, right? Right. We, you try to control what you can control and uh, you know, you can control your work ethic and you can control your behavior. And if those are positives, then you're going to end up with positive results. 
you know, we talk to kids all the time about you have to deserve success. And just because you deserve it doesn't mean you're going to get it. But to ha- get it, you have to deserve it. And uh, you deserve it by, you know, your work ethic and your attitude and your and your behavior. Yeah. And tell me if I'm wrong. It sounds like the never getting out work starts with you, starts at the top, right? Uh, it's, uh, you know, attitude reflects leadership. And if I'm not working, you can't expect the kids to work. Yeah, that's absolutely. And those are, those are simple values, but I absolutely love them. Um, Hey, tell me about your, your coaching stint at Sturgeon. You had a lot of success. Kind of tell us you went 32 and 0 2010. Tell us how you built it. I want to know how you built that program. Uh, Cause I, I read a couple articles on, kind of you guys were building that and you finally got to a point where you got this, the right mix of kids and the attitude and so forth. Tell us about how you built that program. Um, well, I went to Sturgeon in 2006 and the first year we were nine and 15. And that first year uh, throughout our entire program, I also coached junior high there. And it's one of the reasons in the state of Missouri, why I love being in a small school is I can coach my junior high because that season runs before the high school season. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah, those kids, those five years. And um, so what we did, the first thing we did was we installed a an offense uh, and a defense that I felt like that every team, uh, no matter their skill level, you know, great, not as good, could run. And so we had a base offense and that base offense and base defense we ran. Uh, the base defense was the one, two, two ball press and the base offense was our flex. And then we had a variation of that, that we ran against zone. And that is all we did. We ran one, two, two, we ran flex against man and we ran what we call our 21 zone, which is a, a rotation similar to the flex uh, against the zone. And that was it. And that was all we did. And, um, I think I got there and we discovered that our high school kids weren't strong enough. Sturgeon's a small school, didn't have a great weight room. The weight room didn't have a heat in it. Um, we uh, Baseball coach didn't want the boys lifting during baseball season. So we would lift in June and July. And then when we would lift all during basketball season and, and we would test them and try to make gains. So a lot of times coaches will uh, – and for good reason, we'll just try to maintain during the season. But in our situation, we tried to make gains until the February. We would we would lift in October and test in November, and we'd test at Christmas break, and then we'd test first of February, and then we would cut them down to maintenance. Uh, although I caught them cheating and cutting their workout short in the weight room about the first of February. So uh, I told them that just because they did that, we were going to keep lifting three days a week to the end of the season. And uh, we, uh, our last day of lifting was the Wednesday before we played in the state semifinals on Thursday. Uh, but uh, so, uh, so the weights were a really important part of it. Um, and uh, I felt like the base offense and defense was a really important part of it. Uh, and uh, then as my teams got better, we shifted away from the one, two, two, a little bit. And we played a different type of zone. Uh, I don't really even know how to describe it to you because it's it's kind of a matchup. It's kind of a 2-3. It's kind of a 3-2. It's kind of a 1-3-1. One, one. We just called it white defense, and I got it from coaching with Dave Swicegood when I was in Illinois, and uh, that, that defense was pretty unusual and caused people a lot of problems and, and really helped us 
once we got out of our uh, districts that year just because teams hadn't seen it, hadn't scouted it, hadn't played against it, and uh, and, and really struggled with it a lot. Um, yeah, that we put in some motion as the team got better. I had four kids that started for me on that 2010 team that had played point guard in the system at some point in time or another, either in junior high or JV or varsity. Uh, so we started point guards. Uh, and so we, we went to it. We didn't have any size. Our six, our biggest kid was six, three, but we went to a, uh, we went to a five out, uh, simple motion, uh, where we gave them two options coming off screens and that was it. And, uh, uh, ran that, we ran that in a half court set. And then our transition was our flex, uh, what we call Texas, which is uh, flex with no down screen. And that was what we ran in transition. And then we just stayed in it in those possessions. So, you know, I would say the way we built the program was we, we put, had a base offense and a base defense that everybody knew how to run. And we could go back to it at any point in time. Uh, matter of fact, the year we won state, even though we didn't run it much, we put the, we, we reinstalled in the state playoffs and used it quite a lot in our in our state playoff games um, and uh, we, we spent a lot of time in the weight room and I mean this was back before they had contact days in the state of Missouri but we would spend 32 days in the summer we'd have skill development from 7 to 8 a.m. from 8 to 9 four days a week for eight weeks out of the summer so we just we tried to work hard and and uh then we, uh, you know, had the success. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, Greg. Hey, welcome back, my friend. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. I don't know if that was me or what. But... <laughs> sometimes, yeah, it's hard to tell sometimes with connections on that, but I, I go back and so forth and edit, edit everything. Hey, you were talking about basically your system at Sturgeon, which I absolutely love because I think the more great coaches that I meet, they all have their system. But it's kind of adaptable. And what I mean by it, because you're one two two ball press, you probably feel like you need to do something different with your matchup and so forth. But you had kind of your base offense, defense. Why is that so important to have systems and coaching? I, I think for the kids' standpoint, then they don't have to do as much thinking and they can just anticipate and react. Um, and I think the more, especially on offense, you know, no matter what offense you run, kids are going to have to make reads. And they're going to have to make decisions. Sure. Uh, the more times you put kids in a in the same situation, the better chance you have that they're going to make a good read in that situation. So I, I think from an offensive standpoint, uh, that that's part of why it's important. And I think from a defensive standpoint, uh, you know, especially with the one-two-two, uh, the more they run it, the less they're reacting to the offense, and the more they're anticipating. The more years we run it, the more we dictate what goes as opposed to just reacting to what the offense does. And then, honestly, I'm not sure I'm that smart to to think of that ahead of time. I just copied what coaches in Illinois did that I saw that, and in Missouri too, that you know that had successful programs. Dave Bennett at Pittsfield High School. I mean, they played full court man and run flex without the down screen, and that is what they were going to do 
time. Right. Quincy Notre Dame, they were going to run the ball press. Normal U High was going to run the ball press. Uh, you know, the, so you look around New Haven, Ray Steinhoff, they were going to run motion offense. Uh, my uncle was going to run motion offense. And, and those those teams that were good year in and year out and their down year was like a 17-win season, those, those teams had a system. And uh, so – probably about year nine of coaching for me and say, I'm, I'm kind of a slow learner. It took me nine years, but <laughs> at which point I started to, I started to develop a system and uh, rather than change your offense and defense <clears throat> every year, you know, we had a base and then you could vary off that base to suit your skill level, but or, or any talent, but we always had that base thing that we could go back to when we needed. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we actually run uh, – actually, that's why I contacted Jared originally. We run the ball press here. And uh, I'm definitely going to – Oh, do you? Yeah, I'm definitely going to pick your brain because we're, um, we're at the beginning stages of it. Um, but that's, that's our defense. Now, the problem now, though, Greg, is we just had a girl move in here. She's six foot one, and apparently she's, she moves well and so forth. So what do you do? Do you – do you, how do you adjust that with you got a big down low in the backs and so forth? So I, I want you to kind of give me some feedback when you got some big, because usually I just have guards. Um, yeah. So, but hey, talk about your ball press and talk about some adaptations you might do if you have some bigs that are, you know, not, not that quick. Um, okay. Uh, we, uh, we label our ball press position by numbers. I'm going to be one of the few coaches that you're going to talk to. I have no numbers for offense. I don't have ones, twos, three, four, five, none of that. I've got My numbers are all defensive uh, in nature. Okay. And uh, so my one is the top of my ball press. First line of defense, that's the one. My twos are the wings, second line of defense. My threes are my backs, third line of defense. That's why those numbers are where they are. Every substitute we make in a ball game is based upon defense. I've got ones that go in for ones, twos that go in for twos, threes that go in for threes. Of course, I've got guys that play multiple spots too, but every substitution is essentially a defensive substitution. Um, if I have a bigger, slower kid, I mean, well, first I'll just go through my, my top person, my one, has got to be the most relentless son of a gun I've got on my team because they're going to have to chase the ball back and forth all night long. And good teams will, and especially in boys, will just ping pong you back and forth. And you've sure. got to have somebody willing to work their butt off for 32 minutes chasing that ball back and forth with maybe they might touch it three times, you know, and go get down and go shoot a layup. So the, the top has got to be the most relentless person you have. Plus, if the ball gets by them, they've got to get below that basketball or your middle breaks down. So – They've got to be the most relentless. Then your twos, uh, I mean, it helps if they're quick, but they don't have to be. I mean, we'll just we'll just change the way we position if they're not. Um, but your twos are typically guard types. I usually put the better rebounder of the two on the defense's right side because you end up with more rebounds on that side typically. Uh, not every team will shoot more from the offense's right side, but most of them will. Uh, and then our backs, our threes, I usually put the faster one of the two on the defense's left side so they can get out and take away that sideline pass uh, so the ball's not inbounded and pitched ahead, and then we have to chase it, and usually good things don't happen there. 
and then my slower or my better rebounder of the two will play on the defense's right side three. Uh, okay. and so that's that's kind of how I take and I position that. Uh, I do think it. I do think you can hide somebody uh, at a three a little bit. Um, you can change the way you cover the corners if they're slower. I mean, you can. So we, our base in the half court is we're going to trap the corner, but if you've got a three that's slow, you might only have them come out halfway sure. uh, so that they can get back and cover. And then essentially you're covering the, the corner with your two. Um, and uh, so that's one of the adaptations we'll make. If we've got a slow three back there, we just won't have them come or we'll have them initially get out and cover it and then back off. We'll do that too. Kind of a, kind of a trap and peel thing. And then if, if the if the offense has got a guy in the corner that can't score, then we definitely won't bring him out at that point. That's where your scouting mm-hmm. comes into play. I, I tell you what, I um, I, I love I love the defense because it, it's such a great. We we do a lot of trapping out of it because at the girls level, the teams that are most aggressive do well because a lot of teams can't handle the ball at this, particularly our classification. Right. Uh, so we're we're all over the court now. Problem with that is when you're, and Jared does the same thing. So he, I sent him a tape one time. He says, "Coach, man, you got to trap more." I says, "What?" So and I thought we trapped a lot, but it puts us out of rebounding position. So how do you teach? How do you teach rebounding? I know you know you you got to sprint, and when you're out of position, you, you got to sprint to that paint. You got to you got to find people. But give me some keys to rebounding for your your defense first of all the one two two is a really difficult defense to rebound out of i'm just going to say that i mean that's that's probably one of the weaknesses if there's a shot coming from the corner and you've got two people going to that shot because they're getting ready yeah it's it's difficult to rebound from they got to work really hard but what we talk about with our kids is we want them to get to a slot from and that slot is in relationship to where the ball is shot from and their position on the floor at the time. So we're going to get to a slot first. And then if there's somebody there to box out, we're going to box them out if we can. But mostly we just talk about getting to slot and going to basketball. And, and those, yeah. are, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. And we'll do, we do a drill in practice that we call close out and block out. And I've got five guys on the perimeter, point, wing, wing, corner, corner. And I put my defense on the baseline and I'll throw the ball out to one of these guys. And we got to close out and keep that kid from getting a three point shot off. And then everybody else gets into their position relative to where the basketball is. And then we play. And then when the shot goes up, we got to get the rebound if they miss the shot and there's rewards for them if they don't, don't do what we want them to. Like, for example, if you give up a three in this drill, it's 25 pushups for everybody on the gotcha. team. Uh, yeah. And if you give up an offensive rebound, it's, it's 10 pushups. And if you let the ball get to the paint, uh, it's four sideline touches. So we, uh, that, that's one of our best things that we do to drill rebounding. Uh, nobody likes to do all those pushups. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and you, you got, you get, you, it, it sounds like you, your team's about that, that effort you've talked about and rebounding. Let's be honest. It is about effort, isn't it? It is about effort and it's about finishing the play. I mean, if, if you'll yeah. watch kids, um, and I've been really fortunate. My, uh, my son's going to be a senior and uh, he's played on uh, 
a competitive team uh, called the Missouri Storm, and and I've coached them. Uh, I've coached that as well. And, you know, it's not basketball like high school basketball, but you see a lot of good players out there. And one of the things that I've picked up, and, and it's not really something I didn't know, but it's just a reminder uh, that when you're playing high-level competition, you you cannot you've got to finish every play and you, you just there is no time to stop and rest and or, or you know have a mental break basically I mean I'm not I'm not saying that him and his teammates don't always play hard because they do but you know there's times where you'll see him kind of stand and watch for a second well against good players uh, that that beats you I mean that that's the difference between uh, giving up a basket or not giving up a basket so. Those are the types of things that we try to instill in, in some of our defensive drills is to, you know, hey, go finish the play, get after that rebound. Yeah, I love that. I love that concept. Coach, give me your best uh, drill that you use for the ball press. And I, it, and I'm, and I know I've stole Jarrett's and I, I have my own and so forth that I do. Give me your, like, give me your top one or two drills that you do on a daily basis for your ball press. I'll give you one full court, and then I'll give you a half court. How about that? Sounds good. Uh, full court, we play five on seven. I've got the seven is on offense. Uh, they've got an inbounder, two guards, a middle, two sidelines, and a, and a basket. You know, uh, And then we've got five defenders, and we play five against seven, and we've got to get three good stops before we get out. And three good stops means – the ball doesn't touch the center third. You know, we tell our teams in the ball press, we are going to own the center third of the court. The ball is never going to go there. Um, and uh, so the ball can't touch the center third. The shot has got to be contested. And if the shot is missed, it's got to be rebounded. And that constitutes a good stop. And they've got to get three. So I think what we do when we make them get three uh, is we make them concentrate. And, and occasionally we'll make them get three in a row if I think we really need a little more focus on a particular part of our ball press will make them get three good stops in a row. Uh, so that's our favorite full court drill. And we'll do that one almost daily. Uh, Jarrett and I've actually shared some ideas and, you know, Jarrett, Jarrett started running the ball press because my teams were running it. Uh, but since then, you know, I've actually learned some stuff from him as well. And uh, sometimes we play uh, 10 to four, uh, with yeah. with our full court, and I think he, that's one of his favorite ones, and we do that occasionally, but that's just more of a change-up from our five to seven, uh, you know, three good stops, five on seven, uh, kind of keep kids from getting bored. One of my favorite ones in the half court is what we call our figure-eight drill for our threes, and that is where we have a point, wing-wing, corner-corner, block-block on offense. So you've got seven, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven offensive players, and you've got your threes back there. And the threes are going to work on their positioning uh, in relationship to where the ball is at. And the offense is going to pass it around the perimeter, trying to get it inside. And the threes are going to work on getting around in front of the post. They're going to work on closing out to the corner, coming out baseline side first, banana out, we call it. Uh, and usually we'll run these guys in for about a minute, minute and a half at a time. And it's a pretty good conditioner for them as well. But I really think in the half court, your one, twos, who's only as good as your threes are. Because if they break down back there, you're giving up too many, too many easy baskets compared to the number of steals that you get. And at a boys' level, uh, 
you don't really get that many steals against good teams anyway. So uh, your threes have got to be really good. So that's probably my favorite half-court drill. Still there? Hello. Hey, Greg. Hey. Did I lose you for a second? Just for a second. That's okay. Um, sometimes, if if the uh, if your ear is to the phone, sometimes it, it'll stay on a little better and it'll connect a little better. Um, and what I'll do is I'll go back and just edit that out and so forth. So not a problem at all. So you can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Great, great. Hey, just the figure eight. We love that drill too. Uh, some of the issues we have with our, we call them our backs, but our threes, um, is keeping the arms, keeping every, keep the arms up, be active with the hands, hands tendency to drop. What do right. you do to prevent that? Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about when they approach the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And even, yeah, just even when they're, you know, they're sprinting back, we like to, um, I mean, sometimes our, 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 our threes just have a tendency to drop instead of maintaining that arm, that are the high hand, the high arm position, uh, which is tough to do. I mean, it's easy to say, but it, it, it's a tough skill to learn. Uh, what, what we do we, to help them remember to do that is occasionally we'll pull them out of a drill and have them run a lap with a basketball up over their head. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But that, right. that, that'll help. I mean, and then typically – you do that to one kid and we're not trying to punish anybody, but it's just, a, and it's only one lap, but you do that once. And typically all you got to do is say, you know, hands up zone, you know, that's kind of my verbal cue hands sure. up zone, get your hands up. And, you know, it, it, we're going to approach the ball with our hands up all the time. That's, that's uh, one of our non-negotiables within the one, two, two itself is the, you've got to approach the ball with your hands up. Uh, and, um, uh, so, you know, if you can't do it, the other thing that we do, uh, is we have, and I got this from Rick Patino years and years ago at a clinic in St. Louis, we have what we call bricks and saves. And mm -hmm. if, uh, you do something we don't want you to do, it's a brick or depending upon the offense, it might be multiple bricks. Uh, and then you get saves for doing things that we want you to do. Um, and, uh, so we might just simply give them a brick if they approach the ball without their hands up. Yeah, absolutely. That that's a that's a great idea. I remember I remember really reading about that um, uh, a long time ago when I uh, in uh, one text I had. But uh, I love that idea. I don't think I, I don't think enough coaches do that. Let me give you let me give you something that we do, coach. Give me your feedback on it. Okay. Um, we do um, – we value communication. We value hard work. Um, and we actually grade that. I have my assistant coaching grading that throughout practice. And then at the end of practice, we give them marks for um, doing that within a practice and so forth. And also we talk about we, – we actually grade leadership, our kids really leading by example. I know those things are tough. Those are intangibles. But we grade that. And at the end of practice, you know, we got our 20 sprints and the kids that have 
the highest marks, we subtract it from them. What do you think about having that type of system? Uh, I really like it. It sounds really similar to what our bricks and saves are. I mean, yeah, very uh, similar. Yes, very, very, very similar in in terms of, and and with our bricks. I mean, you're talking about lead, grading leadership and things like that. We have that within our bricks and saves and and communication. Talking on defense is a save. Uh, not talking on defense is a brick. Uh, you know those sort of things. So and, and I think when you have a system where there's a rubric and a grade, then it takes some of the emotion out of it. It's not kid can't say, well, you're picking on me, uh, you know, and for me, I don't get so angry because I know that if they don't straighten up, I'm going to get them at the end of practice and then they're going to, you know, do whatever. It's going to be a conditioning drill with a ball at the end of practice to make up for the uh, more bricks than they have saved. So uh, those types of systems to me are, are really important in today's society. And I think for me, it helps me keep my practices a lot more positive than if uh, everything's just kind of arbitrary. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I, I heard a, a coach the other day, uh, Greg, talk about the coaches who scream and yell at their their players. Really, they, they, don't, they don't even know what they're talking about half the time. <laughs> it's a, you have to have a system of communication. And I, I really kind of took that in. And the same thing you're saying, if you have a system of applying your key principles, I think kids learn better. Don't you think? Yes. And, and it's more consistent. I mean, right. if, if you're just going to scream and yell, then a lot of your practice is mood based. You know, if you've had a lousy day at school, you know, you had a kid get on your nerves during study hall and you're still kind of aggravated at him by the end of the day and you go into practice and you don't have anything, you don't have a rubric or anything for what you want from behaviors in practice, then it can be arbitrary and practice can go south in a hurry because I'm yelling and screaming at everybody from the get go. Uh, but when I've got this rubric for behaviors and skills you know, it's, it's never arbitrary. You know, somebody doesn't touch the sideline at half court running transition. That's a brick. It's automatic every day. doesn't matter if coach is in a good mood, bad mood, had a lot of sleep, had no sleep. It, it doesn't matter. So I think it keeps things consistent and kids likes for things to be consistent. Yeah, I totally agree. And, it, and it's an objective evaluation, which I think always works better uh, rather than being, like you said, emotional or subjective. Coach, Missouri basketball, uh, tell us about it. Um, I looked. At, I was looking at your classifications. You got, you know, you got some pretty good programs like Jefferson, Greenwood. I think it's Vashon, uh, Grandview, Rockbridge, some of the top schools. Right. Um, tell us about some of the top teams, top coaches, and top players in Missouri. Because I know I'm here in Georgia. I know nothing about Missouri basketball. Tell us about Missouri a little bit. Well, um, we have five classes in the state of Missouri, which uh, personally I think is too many. I coached in Illinois when we had two classes, and I thought that was great. Mm. Uh, yeah. But uh, we have five classes, and, and uh, some of the programs, I mean, you, you've named off some of them. Some of the ones up here, uh, Canton, coached by Andy Anderson, and he's just retired. But, man, what a, what a great coach. I love doing battle against him. Uh, and uh, you've you got Canton. Uh, you know, Tyler Martin at Kirksville does a great job. Uh, Drew Nyer at Meadville, they won a state championship in 2015. He's, uh, he's a really good man-to-man defensive coach. Um, uh, you kind of put me on the spot. Now I can't think of him off the top of my head. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, 
I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to offend any of my coaching friends by leaving them off if they happen to listen to this. I'll tell you a guy that, uh, and he's he's now an assistant. He was the head coach at New Franklin back when uh, when I was at Glasgow, and he got out of it for a while, and now he's back. He's assistant coach. But to me, in the state of Missouri, there's not any better man-to-man defensive coach than Ross Dow. Uh, Ross's teams, man, they just smothered you, and they made it so difficult to score. Um, I remember one time we played a game, and we beat his team 35-32. to And we laughed later <laughs> that it had to be the most boring game for the fans to watch. Uh, right. And, uh, I said next year, next year, when we play, we're just going to have to have a rule that we've always got one guy cherry picking so we can at least go get a few layups and put some points on the board. Exactly. Uh, we need a few easy baskets. <laughs> yeah. A few easy, a few easy baskets, but I guarantee you if we had, if we did that, the other person would send another guy back to make sure that we still didn't give up any layups. We'd be playing offense three on. Th- <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but you know, uh, Cairo's got a really good up and coming program. They've got some big kids, um, you know, six, 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 uh, uh, good guard. Um, they're a class two school Milan. Uh, Milan is coached by, uh, Andrea Dabney, uh, who's, I don't know if she's the only female boys coach in the state of Missouri, but she's wow. one of the very few and they have had a tremendous amount of success. She also runs the ball press. Uh, okay. run, runs it a little bit different than what we do. They've got some different things that they do, but uh, she, uh, her team has, uh, they made it to the state quarterfinals two years ago and then got beaten the sectional last year. But uh, uh, I mean, you, you talk about tremendous seasons. Uh, I mean, I think they've won, you know, close to 60 games in two years. Uh, so there, there's one that's uh, really good up in our area uh, as well. Um, Mick Crop at Glasgow, another great man-to-man coach. Um, and, uh, you know, I always, always enjoy, uh, going against good man-to-man, uh, defensive teams just because it's, uh, a challenge to see if I can get my offense to, uh, run and score against teams that pressure the ball and, and, and help really well. And, uh, uh, so those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head for sure. Wow, that was great, Coach. I <laughs> didn't kind of just rip those off. And that's pretty cool. And I really love the story with Andrea Dabney. That's pretty rare. I don't I, there I don't think there's any females in Georgia that coach boys. Uh that's a great story, which I don't have a problem with. I, I think it's that's kind of nowadays, I think that you go with the best coach. And I know some of the best coaches that I go against are females. Yeah. She, she's a heck of a coach. I'm just going to tell you. And she has absolutely no problems controlling those kids whatsoever. Right. I mean, she is in their hind end. Uh, she's got two boys that play. And, uh, you know, we played them two years ago in the semifinals of the Nominger tournament, and it was a heck of a game. Uh, they ended up beating us on a three down at the end of the ball game. Uh, but after the game, uh, my wife, and it was like a day or so after the game, cause she knew I wouldn't think it was funny then, uh, right after the <laughs> game, but, uh, a day or so after the game, my wife was laughing about, you know, how coach Dabney had, had, uh, you know, gotten after her own boys and, uh, and in relationship to a silly foul or, or whatever had happened. And, uh, no, but she's a, she's a great coach. She does a great job with those kids and she runs interestingly enough. She runs one, two, two, and she runs a version of the flex as her man offense. So, 
very similar program to ours, even though we've had no, no coaching relationship other than just coaching against each other. We don't come from any set of the same coaching trees or anything like that. So that, that's interesting as well. Hey, coaches, this is Matt Smith, the president and founder of United Basketball Clinics. want to let you know about two great clinics we have going on later this year. The Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic, August 23rd and 24th at the legendary Hoosier Gym in Knightstown, Indiana. Vance Wahlberg, Dave Love, Doug Porter, Mike Neighbors, John Kaufman, and more will be speaking that weekend. All sessions are on the floor with live demonstration. Also, we have the Peach State Coaches Clinic in Atlanta, Alpharetta, Georgia, September 28th. Hernando Planell, Charmin White, Gene Durden, Alan Whitehart, the staff from Georgia State University, and more. Please visit unitedbasketballclinics.com to register. Early bird pricing ends August 1st. That's unitedbasketballclinics.com. Same staff discount supply. I look forward to seeing you there. Hey, Greg. Hey, sorry. Sorry. Uh... I broke off. That's all right. Hey, tell me about why the ball press is so popular. Not only Illinois, but it appears in Missouri. Because uh, I don't – I mean, I know a lot of – all the coaches out here in Georgia pretty much, there's not a lot of schools that run one two two ball press out here. Um, I, I, I don't – I really can't answer why it's so popular when I first started running it at Glasgow and I just, um, in 2000, there was hardly any teams that ran it. Um, and over the course of the years in the last, you know, 15 years or so, uh, it seems like maybe one out of every four teams that we play is running it. So I, I'm not really sure the popularity. I, I know that why we run it is we just think it's a great system defense for a small school that you can play it with, you know, five, five, ten kids if you have to, and you can play it with fast kids, you can play it with slow kids, and there's adjustments that you can make, um, you know, and you see programs like Jared Hunziker's have success, and teams want to emulate that success. Right. Salisbury, Missouri runs the one two two. I forgot to mention them, and Kenny Wyatt, they run that one two two all the time, and it's a little bit different than our one two two, but, you know, there's a program that's had a ton of success in the last few years, so I think when coaches see other coaches having success, they tend to copy. I mean, that's why I started running the one two twos. I watch programs like, uh, you know, Normal U High and Quincy Notre Dame and and uh, Quincy High School all run that one two two and have a lot of success with it. And and that's kind of why we went to it in the in the early two thousands. And and uh, so you know you have a you have so you're having you have programs having success with a particular offense or defense. I think you're going to see other coaches copy it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think schools want to emulate success. I totally agree. Um, Coach, tell me about your program now. You finished um, 12th in Class 1 last year, right? Uh, were we ranked that high? I don't know. We got beat in the district championship game. We were 22-6 and six last year. We won our conference. Right. Uh, we, we were a really good team. Uh, didn't get quite as far as we'd hoped to, but we had a really good season otherwise. So, you know, if you tell me we're going to win 22 next year, I'll be happy with that as well. <laughs> tell me about – I always love hearing this from coaches. Um, tell me about what you learned from last year and how you're going to apply it this year. 
So I think that's where all the great coaches come. I I think they they know what to make changes or when to make changes to their their next year's team. Um, I I think I think we're really getting to a point with our one two two that we're really concerned about some of the rebounding stuff. Uh, and and at a boys level, we don't always get the turnovers enough turnovers to make up for that. Um, so. We're going to look at matching up a little bit out of it, particularly in the half court. And that's one of the things that, that we've learned that we've got to. And we're not – my team's not going to be very big next year. Um, so, you know, we, we were talking about rebounding out of the one two two and getting to slot. Uh, that, sure. That works really well if you've got a couple of six three kids and you've got an athlete. And, and, you know, those guys can just go get a rebound. When you're, you know – when you're small and you're not overly athletic, then you got to box out. And so we're thinking about maybe playing some matchup uh, so that we can actually have guys that we're assigned to to box out. And then if somebody gives up an offensive rebound, we know who to yell at or who to assign the brick to. Right. Sure. Um, offensively, you know, I think it's, it's a situation where the game is more up and down and, and the more up and down and open court we can create for our kids and let them go play the better. And the game is changing. I mean, we run, we still run flex, but uh, we try to get them in the open court a little bit more so they don't have to run it quite as much. I just don't think kids are as disciplined today as they were 20 years ago. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and I, I got to tell you, we, we ran uh, what we call our spots, which is our flex offense, like you said, without the down screen. I, I ran that for years, and eventually I've changed to a five-out pass and cut, dribble drive. Um, and we, the girls, absolutely love it. It gives them a lot of good freedom, gives them yep. some good reads, and we got some good shooters. So less is better sometimes, right? Uh, sometimes less is better. Um, and uh, now I will say this with our flex, we have a lot of read options in there that we'll either give to all of them or specific players. Uh, where, you know, I've got one guard that really is going to need to shoot the ball a lot for us. And so we've got basically sets within what we call, you're calling spots, I'm calling Texas flex without the down screen. Uh, we, uh, we've got options where he can come off the back screen and then get a pin screen on the other side, and he's popping out for three. Uh, sure. Anytime he's in the corner, we're going to down screen so that we've got a he can either come off that down screen or he can go off the back screen. When he goes the guard to guard pass, we can flare for him. So we've got some different different things that we do within our flex that gives our kids some some ownership of the offense and lets them read. And I think I think with today's kid, they, more more than anything, they just have to feel like they have ownership in it, and it's not just dictated down all the time. Yeah, particularly this generation. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I, I tell you what I love what you do is I love the combination of, I guess, more of a structured flex offense. And I guess, you know, like you said, I think more of a five out. So you you have two different types of offenses. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess so. We, we've got we run we run flex with the down screen that we call three game. And we run flex without the down screen that we call Texas. Within both three game and Texas, we give one or multiple players read options. Or basically, we might have three guys running flex and two guys running a motion. Uh, and and okay. 
And if I've got enough ability, enough decision-making ability, enough skill level, we'll go to five out. Uh, and, and that's the year we won state of Sturgeon. We ran five out motion on a, uh, when we walked the ball at the court, we ran, we ran Texas, our flex without the down screen uh, on in transition. So uh, we'll, we'll mix it up a little bit. Last year here at uh, La Plata, we ran blocker mover uh, some, okay. some of the time and, and mix that in with our flex uh, as well. I think at a high school level, especially a small school, you, you've got to give kids a little bit of structure and then you've got to give them a little bit of freedom. You've got to have a good combination of it. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I love how you said that. Um, we right now at this time, we are we are basically a five out or four out. Um, and actually this year, we're actually going to go three out with two posts and so forth, but with all the same rules. So I, I don't like to have a lot of different stuff. I like to be very simple um, with our kids. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, you said that. And, and if you're talking about not having a lot of stuff, uh, the year we went 32 and oh, I had no set plays in. Until- oh, wow. We, we didn't, I'm not a big believer in set plays and, and I'll tell you why, uh, because if, if I scout you and you've got five set plays, it, it doesn't matter whether I'm playing man or I'm playing zone, but I can, I can skew my defense. I can do something to take away what you want to do with the basketball and I can make you go somewhere else. You know, if I get my kids to execute, I just don't think, especially late when, Late in the season, all those sets are going to really uh, really work against good defenses. They're they're going to they're going to make me go to a different option. Uh, so I I just prefer to teach kids how to play either within the confines of a structured offense or within a motion, and uh, and teach them how to play and teach them what good shots are and uh, and that sort of thing. We that year we won state. We had no set plays until in between I put one in in between the state semifinal game and the, and the championship game. We had a day in between games and we put in a one, four low and it was basically just an isolation. I mean, it really wasn't even a set play. It was just, we just, right. we just called it 14 flat. And the reason why we did that was because throughout our district championship, our sectional round and our quarterfinal round uh, and in our state semifinal round, we had a tendency to go into scoring droughts. And I knew that the team we were going to play was good enough that if we went into a scoring drought, we were going to get beat. We were going to have to. And we ended up winning 82 to 80. I just knew we weren't going to be able to stop them enough times that if we went into a four-minute scoring drought, we were going to get beat. So we put that set play in. And if we went a couple of times in a row without scoring, we just isolated. And uh, and uh, But other than that, I don't, I'm not really a big believer in set plays. I, uh, and that's not to say we won't run a few because sometimes I think your basketball IQ on your team dictate that you need to run a few sets. Uh, so the shots are going to the people you want them to occasionally when you're running flex or motion, you're down two with two minutes to go in the game and your 27% three point shooter gets a wide open look and they, they jack it up there and you're like, eh, that's really not what we wanted, but, uh, so, you know, I think a combination, but I, I don't I don't like sets really at all. And then plus the amount of time that you have to spend in practice practicing them. I mean, to me, we could be doing other stuff. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, Greg, don't you think, I mean, it, it comes down to do you want to control everything as a coach or you're going to give it over to the players? I know a lot of coaches have a hard time with that, but I think your best teams, the players take control of the team. I agree with that 100%. Uh, 
And if I were to sit down and rank the coaching jobs I did in the 29 years, years I've been in a head coach, that state championship team would probably rank about in the middle. Uh, I, I just basically got out of their way and let them play and tried not to screw right. it up. And the best teams, to me, you just got to let go and let them go play. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. If that's one piece of advice, I think anybody can take away. That's, that's great advice. Hey, Coach, my last question is practice. Um, I always – I love asking coaches how do they formulate their practices um, do they believe in drills? Do they believe more in teaching the five-man game? Um, how do you how do you run your practice? What's your philosophy? Um, well, we're going to start we're going to start practice with shooting every day. We're going to spend about uh, uh, twenty minutes shooting, and uh, then we're going to do some fundamental work, and then we're going to go to some defensive stuff. We're going to do our defensive drills. Uh, and then we're going to do some team stuff after that, team offensive stuff after that. And uh, then we're going to get involved in some full court play. I believe in full court play every single day. We do, we'll either straight scrimmage where I'm only stopping it occasionally to make corrections, or we're going to, and we do a lot of this. It's what I call one possession work, where we've got our first team is running a half court possession uh, on offense, they get back on defense. And then they come back and they transition on offense. And then once transition secondary break is over, then the possession stops and we start over and then I'll make corrections. You know, we might have two things that we messed up uh, in the trip up and down the floor. And then we can say that it's fresh in their mind. And then we start all over again. So we like to do a lot of one possession. Every, every practice that we have and this year, when we have our first day of practice, we will finish that up with full court play. Yeah. Coach. Can you hear me? Hey, Greg. Hi, Coach. Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, sometimes this kind of just wavers out, and uh, I, I apologize for that. Um, yeah, yeah, and we're almost finished, and I appreciate you taking the time. Hey, tell me about how do you finish a practice, because I believe how you finish a practice will carry over to the next one. What's your philosophy on that? What do, you, what do you mean to how we finish what drills we're doing at the end or what our focus is like or, or, or exactly what are you talking about there? Well, I always try to finish, particularly at the girls level, we always finish with a, a, a positive drill at the end. Now, it could be 
not not scrimmaging. I don't like finishing with scrimmaging. So we'll do a team drill where they have to set, you know, get a certain number of uh, shots made or whatever with a goal set. Uh, and we always try to finish with a competition positive drill at the end. Of course, now then we also do our running, but we always try to finish with a competitive. I call it competitive drill at the end. Uh, we finish most of the time with our scrimmage, um, but then we have a drill that we'll do at the end. Sometimes we do what we call eight in a row in three minutes, which is where we have guys at each basket and each of them shoot one free throw uh, and they've got to make eight in a row and they go, it's, okay. it's, it's a team thing. So we'll finish with that. Um, we'll finish sometimes with a drill where we've got a ball and a partner and we're shooting from five spots and we're see which group can make six first. So uh, really similar. Uh, sometimes we will stop at the scrimmage. If, if the scrimmage is going really well, then I may just stop it right there. So it ends on a positive note. Uh, but otherwise, we'll finish up with, with some sort of free throw thing or some sort of shooting competition. Yeah, absolutely. I think every every coach has different things. Um, but I always found out over the years that if we finish with a negative at the end, it'll carry over big time to the next practice. And you know how kids are. They'll go home with that and so forth. So we always try to finish with a competitive positive drill whether that's win or lose we always try to finish for that and that sounds like you're very similar okay coach can you tell me um what is one last piece of advice you can offer a coach out there who's trying to build a program you have a lot of years of experience give us one last piece of advice on what we can do to kind of better our program i i think they've got i think coaches that are just starting out have got to come up with their system the way they want to play that suits their personality. And it doesn't have to be the ball press. It can be man-to-man. It doesn't have to be flex. It can be, you know, high-low motion. I mean, it's whatever their philosophy and whatever brings them enjoyment to what they're teaching in the game. Because if you're running a system that you don't really enjoy teaching, uh, it really takes a lot of the enjoyment out of coaching for you. So I would find something that suits your personality uh, and I would look at other successful programs around and see what they're doing. And, uh, and then I would just work like heck and try to learn as much as I possibly could. Yeah. And, and tell me, tell me what you think. You think coaches, cause I, I, uh, matter of fact, Jared's coming to our, we have a coaching clinic every year here at the school. Uh, I really am a big believer in clinics. Do you think coaches are doing enough of that or they're more relying nowadays on, you know, getting videos and, and YouTube, kind of the easy way out. I think clinics are very valuable. Are, are coaches really becoming good learners of the game, you think? You know, I can't, I can't really speak for, for other coaches. You know, I know that in terms of clinics, I myself prefer to go to clinics that's mostly high school-based because some of what you hear from college coaches isn't really applicable uh, to my high school team, especially at a smaller school. Um, one of the best clinics I ever went to was, uh, Jeff Crumweedy in Carrollton, Illinois had a round table and okay. really didn't have any speakers, but you'd send a list of topics in that you wanted to talk about. And we, there'd be the mediator or moderator would just go through and he'd say, okay, we're going to talk about press offense now. And we just all kind of had a conversation about press offenses and you're, you're, you're against guys that, 
you know, we're really successful high school programs and we're in similar situations to yours. And I think those are the situations that if I was a young coach, I would seek out. I mean, I had a great time at the USA coaches clinics. When I first started and uh, you learn stuff from guys that were speaking there, but a lot of what they told you wasn't necessarily applicable to my situation as a high school coach. So if I was a high school coach, a young high school coach, I would be seeking out opportunities to go listen to other high school coaches talk. I love that. Matter of fact, I totally believe in that. And, um, you know, we have eight high, we have, of course, Jared's coming to our clinic. Like I said, he's coming to our clinic. Um, we would love to have you come out, Greg, next year and speak at it. Um, Cause I got to get the Missouri coaches, man. You guys are the smartest coaches out there. We got to get you to come out here to Georgia and stay with us. And uh, matter of fact, talk to Jarrett. Maybe you can come along with him and kind of see, we have coaches from um, uh, eight different States coming. So I'm really excited. All all high school. No, that's great. I mean, and and that's what I'm talking about. Those are the types, those are the, the round tables or the clinics where you've got high school coaches speaking and talking about what they've done with their programs. Those are the ones that, that high school coaches, especially the younger ones, need to go to. And uh, so that sounds like, a, sounds like a great event and one that I would be interested in attending. And if somebody wanted to listen to me speak about something, I'd be interested in doing that as well. Absolutely, yeah. And how can people get a hold of you? Because I know a lot of coaches will probably want to contact you. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at gbisher one um, I've got an email at school that's uh, gbisher at laplata.k12.mo.us. And those would probably be the two best ways to, uh, to get a hold of me. Fabulous. Greg, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. So I know you, uh, you got some things going on today. I think if you have your, um, is it your uh, travel team or? Yeah, Missouri yeah. Storm. Yeah. We're going to Kansas City. We're leaving in about an hour. All right. Hey, I wish you guys the best, man. And thank you for sharing with us. I really appreciate it. I know I learned a lot, but uh, thanks again, coach. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Take care. Good luck today. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Coaches, I got an exciting announcement. On September 14, 2019, the Legends on the Lake Basketball Coaching Clinic will be back. Um, we're really excited to host a great clinic this year. Uh, we will have the top coaches in the state of Georgia and around the country uh, attend our 2019 clinic here at Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. The clinic will go from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. We, fe- we feel like we are the most unique coaches clinic in the country and that we will have a live demonstration team from Middle Georgia Prep School demonstrating all the on-court activities for the speakers. In addition, we'll have the best high school coaches from states like Georgia, Wisconsin, Alabama, Tennessee, Missouri, and New Jersey. We have speakers starting at 8 a.m., And we will have our last speaker at 3.45 p.m. We provide the coaches with a meal, snacks, shirt, everything they need in our beautiful new facility here at Lake Oconee Academy. You cannot go wrong. If you're interested in signing up for this clinic, I will give you a special deal. Please put a special code of LEGENDS. And you email me at furtadok57 at gmail.com. 
I will give you a special discount if you come to our clinic. And also, I'll provide you any hotels that are close by the school. We're right off of I-20 here in Greensboro, Georgia. Looking forward to seeing all you coaches. Take care. Hey, coaches. This is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in.